Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hi, it's episode 162. Today is April 16th, 2020, and this is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I It's not the show, solo show this week. Uh, because I am joined today by Mr. Blake Arnsdorf, being uh, socially distant away from me, as always. Absolutely. But you did such a killer job on the solo show. Oh, thanks, I think man. everybody wants more solo uh, show. No, no, that's not going to happen. Because You know why? Is because that solo show, while it was under a half an hour in time, uh, took me much longer than that to actually record the content. So uh, with you, though, I can just riff, and it's a show, and it happens, and it's natural. It's not like these produced videos that are on YouTube that I really enjoy, but like, you know, it's anyway, how, how are you doing? You were out last it's week. A little be- more organic. Yeah. You were out last week because you were not feeling so hot. I want to make sure my Blakey's okay. He's doing all <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. I just, I don't know. I got sick out of nowhere and figured it was a good idea just to kind of let it be and not do anything. Yeah. Didn't, didn't, didn't really work. Didn't do, a, didn't do the podcast, obviously. Um, but no, feeling a whole lot better. Glad to be back on the show and back to be just regular life as life is right now. Um, but yeah, same old, same old, Good. no big deal. Good. Well, I'm glad I was, I was a little worried when I said, when I saw you say, you know, you didn't want to push it any more than you had to. I was like, oh crap. Is it the thing that we, we hope it's not. Uh, and it wasn't. Yeah. So. Yeah. That was terrifying for me too. Cause I was just, I I don't know. You can get really like psychosomatic about things uh-huh. about like, do I have tightness in my chest? Am I, is my heart beating too fast? All that kind of nonsense. Um, oh yeah. And thank goodness. It was just like me being really just normal sick. Uh, no big deal. Cause nobody I know that I've come in contact with has COVID or whatever. I think what, I think what set it off in terms of making me mentally afraid of it and really taking a lot of caution with it was like me and Lisa had gone to target that day or the oh, that weekend yeah. and then monday i just felt like garbage um so i was like oh did i just like touch my face too much putting on my like bandana mask or what happened here so but all's well no big deal good well we're happy to have you back uh but we do have some all right news stories to talk about this week uh yes. and we're gonna be taking some questions from the community um uh, for news we got a new keyboard for typing braille on android and autonomous vehicles, uh, Einride demonstrates one operator, multiple vehicle capacity. So that's cool. That's cool stuff. That's cool, non, uh, non-sickening, non-virusy topics to talk about. They're, yeah. This is zero virus cast. Zero virus cast, because that stuff is uh, that really gets you down. If, I don't know about like, I don't know. Hang on. Let's get through the programming notes, and then I'll ask you. Uh, but but first, hey, we got some programming notes. We do have that Patreon refresh. We're going to keep pushing this every week, guys. Uh, Human Factors Minute. Uh, I love it. You love it. It's great. Highly produced. Go check it out. We've mentioned it on the show before, but it is really something that we're super proud of. And every time some, uh, a new episode comes out, um, I am reminded how much fun I had putting together that first year of content uh, and how much fun we are still having putting together that content. We just recorded another batch to put up, too, uh, so we're always producing more of that. Anyway, um, yeah, so I want to get back to this point, though, because we mentioned that we're not talking about it that much on the show. We're going to mention it, obviously. It's a big part of all of our lives right now. But we do want something positive to talk about. We don't 
we don't want to get down in the dumps. Like, I don't know about you, Blake. Do you, do you have you found yourself watching any news uh, over the last couple? I mean, I know you mentioned like you follow this doctor in San Diego. Have you found yourself watching any news? Honestly, man, I still. I've never been somebody that did that anyway. Like, I'm not really good at watching the news or catching up on any of anything, like reading reading stuff that I, I don't find interesting. I'm not super po- politically active. Um, so I, I, and I find that the, like, drone of the 24-hour news cycle that's the same stuff over and over is really kind of mentally draining. So I just don't, I have never paid attention to it. Um, and I don't actually have cable either, so it's something else that that limits me from you know seeing that and anything like that coming up. So I don't pay attention to it except for if I actively seek it. I kind of leave it up to you know Elise or my other family members to like really bring up stuff in conversation if it is that important, and I kind of let that be enough for me. Uh, but what yeah. about yourself? Well, so I don't really subscribe to any. Um, I wouldn't say I would. I don't subscribe to any news that is global. Uh, political or um, well, political is not true. I do subscribe to political stuff, but th- nothing that would immediately impact my ability to view coverage of COVID. Now, what I've noticed is like when I'm, you know, watching videos on YouTube or something, it'll creep in. It'll be like local news. Hey, here's this is happening, and I'll see the headline, and you know, it, it's a mix of it just creeping into the live and having my partner play it in the background you know i hear stuff and it's just like it's it's hard to ignore when it shows up in other sources that i'm getting my news from so like i do follow gaming sites or or like um you know we have a whole feed dedicated to human factors news and of course it'll come up and so it's just it's it just because it is the new normal it's affecting literally everybody right now and so for me, um, and this kind of leads into my banter too. Like it's it's really depressing to just follow this news and why kind of early on you and I made this decision to not cover that type of depressing news about this thing that everyone's experiencing right now on the show, um, and to kind of get away from it. Like man, I so this gets into my banter, which is uh, Sesame uh, Workshop. So uh, I have a young child as. Uh, as many of you know, and uh, his favorite thing in the world is Elmo and Sesame Street. And uh, earlier this week, they had this event where uh, the Sesame Street characters got together on a virtual phone call uh, so that they can talk to each other um, and play games. And they had guest stars like Lin Manuel Miranda was on there and everything. And uh, they oh, were, that's wild. They were just having a good time, like sitting in their own houses and talking to each other over this thing. And I, you know, and, and they just had incredibly positive messaging about, like, you know, all the hard workers out there. And they didn't just call out the the medical workers. That's a really important job. But they also called out, like, the people at the grocery stores who are putting their lives on the line to make sure that we have the opportunity to go out there and, uh, you know, buy the stuff that we need. And, like, it was just an incredible, incredibly positive message. And, um you know, later on, later in the week, they had like this hotline that you could call up. Uh, so that way, like literally on your phone, you call Grover um, and he gives you an encouraging message about washing your hands. And, um, you know, Oscar the Grouch is saying, stay home. Everybody just needs to stay home. And it's just so great. Right. And then they had uh, they had one today that like almost 
literally brought a tear to my eye. It was like from one parent to another, and it was Elmo's dad just saying, "Hi, I got I got a young kid around my house, and uh, you know, it, it was just like it, it was speaking to my soul. It's like, hang in there, you know, we all we're all taking care of each other, and it was a uh, it was an incredibly positive thing. And um, man, it, if if you think it's tough being in a house, and I I am by no means saying that I have it the worst of anyone because I absolutely don't. There are people without homes out there that are having a way worse time than I am. Um, but, you know, I see on my social feed people without children and people who, um, let's say, are, are a little bit more fortunate with the amount of free time that they have. Uh, and, you know, just being able to get a moment to themselves. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I just... I we are all in this together and i hate that phrase we're all going not a fan i'm not a fan of that phrase we are going through this global pandemic together however it's like the celebrity in their fifty thousand fifty million dollar mansion you got a lot more resources at your disposal than somebody in a two-bedroom apartment with a child uh and somebody in a two-bedroom apartment with a child has a lot more resources available to them than a family that's living out of a van and a family yeah. in a van has a lot more resources available to them than somebody who's living on the street. So think about that the next time you're saying we're all in this together. And I know that's a bad note to end on, but Sesame Workshop is incredibly positive. So check that out. Yeah. What's been going on yeah. in your world? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. You reminded me of something that really, really aggravated me. And you know what? I'm going to gloss over it and not go go into it i'm just gonna leave that alone because i I don't want to go on too many negative notes for some of this covid surrounding content that comes out Um, hang on let's do it let's do it let's make it quick let's do it because i'm sure listeners will want to know what it is okay i'm not gonna call out specific program but i i so i i really under i identify with the uh the sentiment you just brought up of this we're all in this together because there was this well-known talk show host having a lot of very high profile celebrities of all walks of life coming on the show and basically giving, you know, kind words about stuff going on with COVID. But it, it was quite obvious from the one interview that I overheard from somebody who I really like as an actor anyway. Um, like this person who has ridiculous amount of abhorrent wealth was able to move his entire family to a, another country um, and was one of the first people to ever be tested um, outside of the United States twice and then get tests for his entire family. So it was, it's, it's one of these things where, yeah, it's very easy to sit in the, the place of thinking like, yeah, we're all in this together. But in the reality, I think you're right. Everybody is having to deal with this on a very singular level or a family level. Um, and I think in some ways it's a little bit ignorant and inconsiderate to, uh, think otherwise or when people of high power or a lot of money make it seem like it's easier than it is um, especially when because of affluence or happenstance and lots of hard work no doubt um, they're able to get access to services that most people can't like I like this is a, a small anecdote but a personal family member of mine has symptoms but cannot get a test it's like a probable, it's just basically you get a probable diagnosis and that's it. You can't get a test because there's too many people that need them and your things are not bad enough. Uh, so it's, I don't know. I, I really agree with the sentiment that you brought up and I think it's just, 
important for people to think about. I don't think a lot of people listening to our show are going to be, you know, no. celebrities of any kind or anything like that. But, you know, nor, it's just... Nor would I even accuse anyone listening to the show of, of you know, taking uh, advantage of their privilege or power. And I think a lot of people know where they stand. Um, anyway, let, let's let's get past that. Blake, what's going on in your world? What's, what's new with you? So the fun stuff, right? The fun so, stuff. I have really enjoyed some of this like virtual friend gathering stuff. So it I've you've done this before for the company that we worked at together where you like you had Jackbox games and we all like enjoyed like playing video games together on our phones. I mean, I've recently done that with some neighbors and it's been a really just fun time, a way to hang out with social distancing going on, not being able to do much outside of that. And then the same thing, like doing e-hangouts to play board games and, you know, you know, virtually eat pizza together and stuff like that. So that's been a really enjoyable experience because it's, it's silly because I'm a super introverted person, um, but it's been nice to really connect with people in a time where that's not easy to do, um, especially when it's people that you live near and you maybe just don't see that often or wouldn't otherwise have a reason to hang out. Um, so that's, that's been really cool and a really fun experience for me. Um, and again, in a place of privilege for sure. I mean, I'm one of the lucky people that still has a job, has still has two jobs. Um, and it has the ability to, you know, spend free time doing that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. You mentioned introverts and I don't know if it's, it's, uh, the same for you, but it's almost like, a. It's it's easier for us because it's it's our preferred method of communication. It's like sort of this virtual meeting, right? Like yeah. like playing games or something. You people like you and I, we communicate through voice all the time, and so it's like to see the mass of the population who has the ability to do this start to get on that train. It's really interesting to watch. It's like yeah, you're finally discovering the thing that we're like you know <laughs> we've been living with for a while. Yeah, it's so fun too. Like I really. I enjoy getting to know people in a different way and then like exploring just different mediums, like people that pro- that don't like play, you know, hardcore games. Like I think you or I would, and then like playing Jackbox games with them and being really competitive and just having a good time over the internet. It's just, it's kind of like what we do every week or have been doing every week for a couple of years, right? Just having a podcast over the internet um, and just enjoying ourselves. Yeah, man, we hang in virtually. Yeah, absolutely. But that's kind of been the the biggest thing in my life, right? Like just finding ways to still still not feel too sheltered, feel a little bit connected to people around me. Um, same thing with like connecting with parents and stuff like that. It's been fun to FaceTime more. It, yeah. I don't know. It's uh, I've always lived kind of far away from my family, family, so it's it's kind of nice to be a little bit feel a little bit more connected in kind of a tough time. <laughs> can I just can I just say that uh, uh, Grover in uh the sesame street um elmo's play date was the old person on the call that like you know flips the camera upside down that can't figure out the mute button that that can't figure out the filters <laughs> it was amazing <laughs> if you have like 30 minutes of your time and want to feel better about yourself watch elmo's play date it's pretty great i think it's available on most platforms they tried to make it available anyway grover was great I, I got to say too that was that's probably my favorite part of this week of uh because the the software that we use at my company for virtual meetings finally got like the changing backgrounds and oh everybody just went nuts over it. 
And so every meeting starts at least two to three minutes late because people are dicking around with their backgrounds. I can only imagine with the type oh, of personalities man. in that building. Uh. Absolutely, yeah. But it, so that that was that's been really fun. All right. Well, why don't we go ahead and get into that next part of the show? That's right. It's Human Factors News. <laughs> Gotta have fun with it, right? This is that part of the- was so good. Let's see what factors do. This is the part of the show all about human factors. This is where we talk about everything related to the field of human factors. This can be anything from medical, privacy, security. As long as it's not COVID-19, it is fair for us to talk about on this fine program. Uh, Blake, what do we have up first this week? Up first, we got a little bit of accessibility in the house. So over 150 years ago, the invention of Braille was revolutionary in making reading and writing accessible to the blind. Today, Braille displays make typing accessible on most phones and computers through a physical Braille keyboard. But it can be time-consuming to connect an external device each time you want to type something quickly on your phone. Well, TalkBack Braille Keyboard is the new virtual Braille keyboard integrated directly into Android. So it's a fast, convenient way to type on your phone without any additional hardware, whether you're posting on social media, responding to a text, or even writing a brief email. So as part of Google's mission for this keyboard, uh, they've been trying to make the world's most universally accessible keyboard, and they hope that the keyboard can be broadly expanded for Braille literacy and exposure to among blind and low vision people. So the team has collaborated with Braille developers and users throughout the development of this feature. So it'll be usable for anyone who has ever typed Braille before in their life. So this is this is kind of nuts, Nick. I mean, unfortunately, it's not something I deal with all the time in terms of like knowing what's the biggest and newest thing in accessibility technology. But I would have thought this had been long done. But this is great and that no longer is uh, an external device required for basically typing on a phone. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the diagram that they provide in this article uh, from Google here, they they kind of give you sort of it's it's uh, so Braille is comprised of six different dot uh, binary dot choices, if you will, and then within uh, it's the combination of those dots that produces a letter in Braille, and so the way that you can type in Braille is to basically um, uh, emulate the the punching of those uh, dots, right? So if, if you imagine like um, pressing in with your index finger on your right hand and then pressing in with your ring and middle finger on your left hand, you are essentially making uh, a kind of L shape without the L corner um, on the back of your screen. And so the way that they're envisioning this is you kind of hold your phone with your screen away from you, so that way you can kind of claw grip this thing, and you are basically punching in these Braille configurations, right? You're, you're punching in these Braille configurations on the back of your screen, and um, this is this is great. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? And that was a really great explanation because I didn't I didn't actually think of like how the interface is really working because you're right, it is kind of it is just these dot sequences that you have to memorize and then think of and use. And it does require you to use your phone in a little bit different of a context that I think some people would be used to, right? Um, but well, th- yeah, people sighted people. Um, yeah, sighted people though. You're absolutely right because so yeah, like, like I said, this is claw grip. So so imagine if you had your phone. Uh, held in your hands like you were playing a game, 
uh, in landscape mode. Now flip that phone around with the screen facing outward and grip it with your hands so that way your index ring and middle fingers are all on the screen and you're kind of pushing the back of your phone with your um, with your thumbs and then you just press the button combinations with the fingers that you have on the other side of the screen and that's how, uh, you know, and your pinky's resting on the other side of the screen to give it friction, but that's basically how you're typing is by doing this uh, kind of claw grip. It's it's really interesting. If you're if I'm not describing it um, well enough for you, go check out the diagram because it does a lot better job describing this than I am. But I think this is very clever because I think there's a lot of of slop, and I, I use that word um, endearingly. I think there's a lot of slop with the amount of uh, input that you can put into this thing, and it should still register, right? You could do anything from the um, Anything from the top right corner, you know, would register as a one. Anything from the top left corner would register as a four, um, or vice versa. Sorry, uh, but but I mean, I think there's a lot of uh, leeway for input, which will result in better um, uh, better better response from the device. Which is nice because I think I feel like that's almost taking a little bit from what you get with like swipe to text incited people, right? Like the fact that you can just you can kind of make some weird shapes and it'll over time pick up like what you're putting down. Um, so, and I'm assuming kind of the way this works in some way is it's probably going to read out to you what you're braille typing because it it does show on the diagram that it show it gives you some feedback about the sentence that you actually type. But I would assume that it's probably speech detecting it as well to you, right? Or or maybe not. Or it could be a vibration pattern. I don't know if if uh, that exists. If if uh, you know, th- I mean, they do have talk back right in the accessibility section, so that way. Um, you can get it set up to where it reads it back to you as you're saying it. And so every word that you type in, it will read that word back to you after it registers a space. Um, so yeah, I, it, this is really cool. I mean, this is rolling out, you know, starting earlier this week. So this is already out there. Uh, and it, it's great to see this type of accessibility. Yeah. So you know that I'm kind of a sucker for these stories and I always think that it's really interesting and it's, it's really fun to see Google doing something like this, but I guess what I was most excited about, and I, I don't know if this matters to most people, but I thought it was great that they one had taken like an external means and now built it into phones. Cause they're so ubiquitous with all people cited or not. But the best part was, is that this keyboard is just going to be built into the, to the Android operating system under the accessibility tools itself. So, I mean, that's just another instance of like companies that are trying to make sure that you always have access to tools that you need, no matter who you are, or what your needs are. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say about this. This is very cool. I'm glad it comes baked into Android. Um, if any of our listeners uh, happen to be, blind and use braille or just use braille in general i know there's some people who use it um so if you do i'd be happy to like kind of sit down and hear about your experience with something like this um just to kind of see i i don't know i'm always i'm always excited about accessibility things because uh i I don't know i nerd out about that type of stuff yeah it makes me want to actually send this along to a couple of professors i worked with in grad school and elise actually did a lot of accessibility research for her thesis so i wonder if they would find this kind of useful and interesting yeah um well you know what blake i have no other thoughts on this story so why don't we take a quick break and we'll be we'll be back to break down the rest of the other news story right after this 
Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in human factors chatter every week. We pack news, interviews, reviews, and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon, now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is Human Factors, etc. We're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember, it depends. And we're back. And before we continue, I just want to thank all of our friends over at the Google blog and uh, what is this next one here? Uh, InsideEVS.com. Uh, for all of our news stories this week, if you want to follow along, we do post links to the original articles as we find them on uh, our Slack, uh, which is a great place to interact with other people who are uh, from the same background or different backgrounds or, uh, you know, there's a little bit of mix of everybody in there. So, uh, you know, go check us out on Slack. And uh, really, it's less about us at this point. It's more about the community. So uh, make some connections in there. Um, yeah, we got one more news story. Blake, what do we got up next? All right, up next, a little autonomous vehicles to round this out. So Swedish startup InRide engaged in autonomous electric vehicles has demonstrated for the very first time its one operator, multiple vehicle capability at a customer site. So the company has used two of its electric teapot vehicles, which can drive autonomously for most of the time, but from time to time might require some intervention from the operator to complete some difficult maneuvers. So the in innovation here is that a single operator can control both vehicles remotely if they are required to. So the number of vehicles per single operator is expected to increase to several or even up to ultimately 10 vehicles per one operator. That seems insane. Ma making such a system is not a trivial thing because it's not only that you have to deal with stuff working in real time, but it has to remain secure from hackers. So this remote operation and oversight of autonomous vehicles requires a very robust real-time video and data transmission program that's managed through a secure channel, often over an insecure infrastructure. So not only can it switch between monitor vehicles, but also between operators in different geographical locations, increasing the flexibility of the system exponentially. So Nick, this has a lot to unpack um, from the fact that it's electronic vehicles that are autonomous, and then it's one operator with responsibility for potentially many up to 10 autonomous vehicles. This is uh, cool. Uh, so look, here's the thing. This is a this the vehicle that they the vehicle the the video that they provide is of these autonomous trucks, right? So it is basically these trucks that are going from point A to point B, which don't require a whole lot of human attention. That can be done maintaining their position on the road is not a uh, a very intense task for. I mean, it can be intense for humans because we have to pay attention. We have to stay vigilant. However. For automated systems to do this, this is not very difficult. Um, this is this is just a simple calculation that they keep running, and the uh, automation can get them the the like what is it ninety five percent of the way from from start to finish. the The interesting thing to me is that the start to finish at the beginning and at the very end is where the interesting stuff happens. So getting off of 
the highway, backing into a store to unload things. These are very tricky maneuvers that, um, if you look at this video that they have, they have these full, uh, like almost cave-like displays where they have like seven different monitors um, in portrait mode that you can see this full field of view. It's like you're sitting in the actual cab of the truck with a rear view uh, up at the top that spans a couple different monitors. And this almost provides you with more visibility in this autonomous vehicle than you would have in a normal truck. And so this remote operator can back into um, you know, these depots or wherever they're dropping off their load. And it's to me, the one to 10 ratio becomes a lot more uh, believable when you realize that these are the types of tasks that they're doing. They do one truck, then they send that truck off on its way. They get to another truck. They do that task. Send it on its way. Uh, and then, you know, while those trucks are doing that 95%, they're doing the loading and unloading and all that other stuff. So this is really interesting to me, and I think this is the future here is what we're looking at. The future of uh, transportation of goods across land. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I think the the impact here of something I never really think about when I think of like this, the, cause autonomous vehicles, cool. Um, but this like remote operation of like jumping in at kind of the last mile or the, or the start, like you're talking about is a really cool concept in that you could have some one operator that's multi just monitoring 10 vehicles. But I could imagine there has to also be, or maybe in the future communication between various operators that are manning different vehicles. And if you are manning some in like a geospatial area, they're going to go into another area handing over that, you know, request of control from one operator to another. So I feel like there's a lot of interesting kind of design and also potential human factors issues to think through in terms of how do you keep people, you know, occupied in terms of the vigilance task and then also what they should be paying attention to. You know, once they have control, once they release control, and then once they're just monitoring. Um, but the article calls out the fact that this is like, like great, this is hard to do, and we're kind of making it happen autonomously. But the real threat here is actually hacking vehicles. So dealing with how do you transmit data securely over something that's an unknown or very insecure infrastructure. So I think that's another kind of crazy place where it's like, this is awesome to see, but we have to think about kind of like the cybersecurity impacts that all this really has. So it's it's awesome to see companies already kind of diving down that, like working on the hard mechanical problems and autonomous issues, but also being prepared for the fact that you're going to be dealing with so many different types of infrastructure when you're passing this kind of data along, potentially in different parts of the world, I would imagine, seeing this is in Sweden and I could see this popping up or the software at least popping up all over the place. Yeah, so yes. Uh, cybersecurity, that's outside my pay grade. Uh, that's not something that I'm super familiar with. I don't feel like I can comment on it intelligibly. But yes, they do They do mention this as a major um, sort of concern, right, is the hacking piece of it. Now, once they get past that, though, I feel like this has got to be the future, right? And and I, I want to talk about the impact beyond this, right? Because you think you, you start with trucks. You start with something that you don't really interact with these things. I mean, they're on the road. But most of us are not loading and unloading these things at retail locations. Most of us are not loading and unloading supplies. There, of course, there are people who are doing that, but not the majority of people. Now, how does this technology transfer over 
when perhaps we're looking at something like bus drivers. Or Ooh, now that's interesting because that's dealing with human life. Yeah, or pilots. 95% of the flight, you're up just up in the air cruising. If a pilot can yeah, jump in last mile stuff, yeah. right? And if a pilot can jump in virtually, if there's any problems, right? Like, let's say you have the most experienced pilot in your fleet, and you have a problem in in the air, right? You could send your most experienced pilot to help troubleshoot um, virtually. How cool is that? It's pretty interesting, right? Because I think you really hit on the trust and automation problem with humans right so in in those contexts it's very difficult to get people to trust that right like there's this feeling that there's this odd feeling of comfort maybe it's not odd but it it seems like it to me there's this odd feeling of comfort that there's two humans let's say the aircraft example that are in charge of this very complex machine but they have expertise in it and our hand our lives are safe in their hands and we don't really question that but if you took out the fact because I, I also wonder, I also wonder like how many people recognize that most of the flight is really flown just you know autonomously in some regards, and really it's the takeoff and landing bit that pilots are very much you know part of in the loop and necessary for. But if you were to never open the cockpit, and people just got on the plane and didn't know that the pilots had already got on, you could get away with it. But it's this like trust and automation thing that is very hard to overcome. Because think about it for like kids in a school bus. Like, are you as a parent, because you actually are one, how would you feel about letting your kid get on a school bus that was, you know, manned by nobody or driven by nobody? I'm not the population. I, I have no problem with it. And I've always stated that, you know, I would, I would hop into a car and I would let a car with automation take my family. I would trust an automated vehicle more than I would trust a human operator. And that's only because I'm in this field and I know sort of what goes into automation and what goes, uh, what sort of, um, things are necessary to certify automation, especially when it comes to human life. So, I feel I feel much more comfortable than probably most of the population, but that is a big sort of question mark is how how are most people going to feel about these types of things, right? In this example here, we're talking about trucks. We're talking about um a single operator for 10 vehicles and I think, you know, in the, in the in the case of like aircraft that might be like one in 3 and you might have just uh, a pilot to every 3 planes, you know, so where you're just checking in every couple minutes, you're on a rotation. You know, that has such interesting impact or implications, though, right? Because that could, what does that mean for like the job ATC? Do you like absorb and become a pilot almost? And you're, that's how you're kind of manning some of this? There's just some, some oh, really man. cool like process management things that would have to happen. See, I get yeah, this I'm, domain anyway. I'm super far thinking future here. Um, I don't think we're there for a long time, but I'm just thinking of sort of the impact that this might have once this becomes more commonplace, right? Like, um, yeah, I can't really comment on anything else with with that, but it's just it's crazy to think about. I almost I, I see since this is like trucking and dealing with some of the like like we talked about or you you were mentioning like unloading and loading vehicles. I mean, I could have mentioned or imagine in the future that if you're you're manning ten vehicles and within those vehicles, along with the cargo, are you know robots that you control. Or have, you know, potentially supervisory control over. And so you could watch them unpack and make sure if there's anything that's hard to do, you could guide one through it. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's all super cool to think about. I'm I'm really excited about that. <laughs> it's so cool. It'll be happening when we're really old. It'll be awesome. Yeah. Well, what do you think we should get into this uh, next part? Should we do the next part of the show where we do the thing? Yeah, where we do the thing. Let's yep. do that. Right. It came from. It came from. That's right. It came from Reddit. We're having fun tonight on the show, guys. Because we uh, we don't get enough fun during the week. <laughs> it is the week. What am I even talking about? Man. Yeah, anyway. Okay. Is. Yeah. So hi. It's it's this. It, it came from Reddit. This is the part of the show where we search all over the internet um, to bring you topics the community is talking about. It's not just Reddit. It could be Twitter. It could be uh, um, email. It could be emails. It could be everything. It could be everything. Um, anyway. So we got uh, we got one of these things up this week. What do we got? So we got two. Oh wait, no, this is me. Joints. This is me. I usually say this. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> Do you want to read I, this one? This yeah, week? I can. Read. I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. I just forgot how to podcast. You were gone for one week, and I did the whole show by myself, and I was like, I don't even know. Anyway, okay, let's let's talk about those. We got. Let's do one of them. Uh, which one do you want to do? Uh, I kind of want to do the happier one, the one that's talking more about a method. Okay, let's do the uh, let's do the happier one. So this is from the UX subreddit from Wingsfan64, uh, and this is how do you perform a heuristic analysis? This is the one, right? This is the one. This is the happy the one? one. Okay, this is happier than the other one, folks. So just know that we're like saving you some uh, some sadness and depression. Uh, so you're welcome. Uh, when I first learned about them in school, we're talking about heuristic analysis here, uh, we just had to rate the product in a number of specific areas. I'm taking a course online now, and it is said to have several others rate the design and then come together and discuss. Is there a correct way? I applied uh, for a UX position once where they asked me to do a heuristic analysis of a random website where they expected me to come up with my own heuristics, test them with a few people, and then present that? Question mark. I guess I'm wondering whether it's something you can do yourself or if you need to get something like a focus group together. Blake, I want to hear from you. What What is, okay, first off, what is a heuristic analysis in your book uh, and how do you conduct them and is there a correct way to do it? And is it something you can do yourself? Absolutely. Or do you need to get a focus So group? the, All right, the so real crux this. of why yep. I even grabbed this. <laughs> Wait, what? So the reason that I even grabbed this was, so it says that there's like, a, is there a correct way to do it? And it's talking about an experience they had with a specific, you know, company that they had, they were interviewed to do this for. Because um, that seems a little odd the way they were asked to do it. But really, heuristic analysis, there are a lot of different heuristics you can use. I am human factors backgrounded, so I'm just going to always default typically to just Nielsen using Nielsen's Norman's heuristics to in a group of people, so in like three or more, or as many as you have access to, review a website based off of the heuristics, trying to understand if you already know ahead of time what pain points were when people used it, and then trying to analyze it based off of the heuristics that you're using. Now, there's a lot of different types of heuristics you can use. I understand that. But the general consensus is you review them as a group using heuristics, rate them as you as you be, and then you will talk them over with your other colleagues coming out with like a, a unified rating of them. But is there a correct way to do it? I would say that, yes, there is, depending on what the goal is. If you want to do a proper heuristic analysis that you're going to learn in the human factors class, you're probably going to need more than one rater, and that's going to help you get a better, more 
a greater sense of really what's going on in terms of is this website violating a bunch of heuristics that I'm using or is it not? And the other thing, the other problem there is, is what heuristics do you actually use? And so I go for ones that are standardized, but I know that there are a lot of companies that come up with their own. So I would assume that's why in the specific question you're seeing, so where they were expecting you to come up with your own heuristics, which I think is a lot tougher and gives you a lot less reliability and validity of what you're testing. Um, so I think you're better off using some sort of standard method or standardized group. But that's, I mean, that's just kind of really all I have. I would have, if I had been in that situation, I would have questioned why they were ma having me make up heuristics to test a random website and then not work through it with a group. And that may have been the point of the question. Okay. Uh, ready for a slightly more cynical take here. Do it. Um, so, <laughs> look here. I think, Google it. I think, uh, I think the way that they asked, it, it was intentional. Um, and I think what heuristic does, if they're asking you to not go off of a certain template, if they're asking you to not sort of use any well-established thing out there, a heuristic analysis is just based on your experience with not only the subject matter, but also with human factors, or in this case, it was on the UX subreddit, but I'm going to link it to human factors. So what that is getting at in my book is just a level of expertise that you have employing these methodologies. How many times have you done a heuristic analysis on something in the past where you can say, oh yes, this checkbox is not in the right spot. There's, you know, the back button is in the top left. Why is that? Um, I think there's a couple universal heuristics that everyone should kind of know just based on working on things and doing your research and seeing what else is out there, doing a competitive analysis, that type of thing. But I, uh, my strong suspicion, and it's completely unfounded, I don't know what company this is, I don't know anything, but I, I have a feeling that they asked this intentionally and didn't provide any sort of uh, standardized um, heuristics for you to rate because they wanted to test your experience. That's that's my slightly cynical take. However, is there a correct way to do it? I think Blake had a lot of great points there. Get multiple raters, get multiple uh, parameters by which you are evaluating these heuristics on, um, and you know document notes. And that way you can kind of merge all these notes together and say, hey, look, it didn't pass quite these heuristics here, and here's the notes that we took on it. And um, you know, I think correct way is is very subjective in the sense that. You're just trying to evaluate a product for uh, like a quick and dirty. That's what a heuristic is. It's quick. It's dirty. It's not perfect by any means. It's looking for those easy wins uh, in my book. Um, and so you should you should know those easy wins. Absolutely. That's a really good way to put it. It is the low-hanging fruit that you're, you don't need to like go through a full testing process or anything like that to figure out based off of the people you work with. You can probably come up with good ideas. Right. It's, it's like that stuff that like even if you're in software development, you should kind of know these things just from experience. Um, and it's almost used as like a, a thing for software developers to check their stuff against to make sure that the human factors people aren't getting on their case about the back button being in the top left corner. Why is it there again? Who knows? Anyway. Oh, okay. Well, like I said, we're, we're doing these shows a little shorter. We know time is tough right now. Um, and listening to us for a whole hour when you're not commuting can be a challenge. So 
we're going to go ahead and say that's it for today, everyone. Let us know what you guys think of the news stories this week. You can join the discussion on our Slack or follow us on any of our social channels at H-Factors Podcast. If you like what you hear, you can email us at show at humanfactorscast.com if you want to hear your stuff on the show. Um, if you want to support the show, you can leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice or consider supporting us on Patreon. Like I said, we're very excited about Human Factors Minute, even though we did gloss over it and we didn't mention it during the Patreon commercial. That's okay. Human Factors Minute is great. You should check it out. Uh, and, of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. I want to thank Mr. Blake Arnstor for being well and uh, being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about Sesame Workshop? If you want to talk about Sesame Workshop, you can always find me in the Human Factors Cast Slack or at Don't Panic UX across social media. Excellent. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, stay, stay, stay safe. Words are hard. Safe stay. And it depends. It depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.